I want to be the biggest black voice that is preaching the heritage and the culture of Africa through printmaking. print friends and welcome this is a bilingual podcast so if you subscribe to us you'll be getting episodes in english with me as well as in spanish with ronaldo hill zambrano together we speak to people about their practice and passions in the fields of print media and multiples hello print friend is brought to you by speedball art products who've been offering a diverse range of high quality products to your practice since 1997 if you're looking to add some pizzazz to your practice, check out their new line of additive glitter. Add a sprinkle of additive glitter to any speedball fabric screen printing ink to bring a touch of shimmer to your next design. This glitter additive can be used in any ratio, whether your sparkling vision is more subtle or dripping with scintillating shine. Check out the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Legion Paper. Legion Paper is a fine art paper company that represents the best papers in the world. They either stock it, source it, or make it. With brands like Stonehenge, Somerset, Coventry, Reeves, Arches, and more, Legion is the best paper resource for every artist's and printmaker's needs. Learn more about the variety of papers Legion stocks at www.legionpaper.com. My guest this week is Tosinoyan Ni. We talk about being one of the few active Nigerian printmakers, his passion for uplifting pre-colonial Nigerian culture, and how he hopes to keep these traditions alive through his woodcuts. Hi, Tosin. How's it going? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to talk to you about your work. I saw an absolutely beautiful video of you printing on Instagram, and the work was just big and bold and beautiful and I'm so happy that you agreed to meet with me because I would love to hear more about your work so thank you thank you too for the chance given to me it's my pleasure having a podcast with you because I believe uh, it's a better way to spread the news about what I preach to the world thank you would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? I always ask my guests to answer the questions, who you are, where you are, what you do. Uh, thank you, and I love that, because that seems to be a better way to know who is on the podcast. My name is Tosin. I'm a Nigerian, a 36-year-old visual printmaker. I do mostly line of And where did you grow up? And what role did art play in that part of your life? Uh, as a Nigerian, uh, I'm from the southwest of Nigeria. And that's from Ogumosho, Oyo State, Nigeria. And that has really helped me. And if you are so conversant with my work, you will know it's strictly talk about African and mostly the children. Because uh, the kind of environment where I grew up, I have an opportunity to meet with a whole lot of my peer, I mean the younger ones when I was growing up. So having attained this point, I find it so easy to talk more and to preach to the world what Africa really does. And when did you first start to become an artist? Did you draw a lot as a kid? What was your early art influence 
like? Yeah, I I really don't know much about American art school, but I can say from when I was in primary school, that was when I started drawing. Though then it wasn't that easy because my parents always deal with me because I, I do spoil more of my work most of my most of my notebooks with drawing. So from there until when I got to secondary school, that was when I flew up the course to start. Because then I was given a course that has to do with arts. But while in primary school, we only did the the introduction. So it wasn't that easy, but I started fully when I was in secondary school. And one of the things that's really striking about your lino cuts is that they're really beautifully rendered. The figures are really accurate. They have really beautiful emotions. Were you always good at drawing or did that come from a lot of practice or, or both? I'll say it comes from practice. Was, uh, mm. When I was in university, I was introduced to Lionel Court in 2011 as a course. But I just passed it by after leaving. I left university in 2012. So I've worked in many areas uh, that is not even art. But it gets to a time I picked it up that, okay, I knew this. So I started in 2018. It wasn't that good, it wasn't that smooth. But coming around from that 80 to 2020, I think things are coming up. And so that has really helped me. I will, because the says, says, consistency has taken me to where I am now. And what was it about printmaking that really brought your interest, sort of the, the second time around you were introduced to it? Why do you think you decided that lino cut was going to be your medium? Well, uh, from where I grew from, I mean, from my country here in Nigeria, if possibly you can start this, you can look up to those search engines and you look for printmakers in Nigeria. They are really, you will hardly see one or two. So while I was growing up, I find it so hard. Why would people run for this? So I see to be, oh, I think something special is in this thing. So I came back to it. Though, and when I came around, I, I later get to know the reason why people are running for it, because it was too tedious. It was time-taking. Mm. Well, I believe unique and better thing comes from whatever thing you done. So I see it to be, uh, I want to fill the gap, because I've not been seen a Nigerian that I've been doing making. So I want to fill that gap, should in case people are looking for, okay, who does this in this country? I should be able to pop up. Like, okay, someone we've seen someone doing it, so I find it interesting that, okay, people are running for it, but I want to call people back into it that there is life in Lenocott. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really smart. It's a great way to distinguish yourself and your work. And of course, it gives your work a really distinctive look too, right? That like Linocut, it has this graphic quality and it's very, it's very bold, so... Yeah, that makes sense that this would be a, a great way to for people to to know you and yes. to have you'll have something that not everyone else has. Yeah. That's it. You, you are right. Yeah. Yeah. And so what about your subject matter? You said that you work a lot with the subject of African children. Not just African children, but I basically preach African culture to the world. What brought about me working more on children? It's because uh, I believe uh, children don't pretend. Hmm. Whatever emotion, whatever act you see 
a child doing is not acting. That's how the thing is. That's what he or she is feeling. So I want to capture the real emotion, not the acted one, not the pretending one. So the original African, the way African live, the way they do their things, the way they, they dress up, and all about African culture. So I make more of it from the children. Though I do the adults, I do the old age at all level of ages of human beings, that's what I do. But I work more on children. So what I only want to put to people is uh, there are so many primitive things the world think about Africa. So but I want the world to know we have our ways, not that it's primitive. It might be primitive to someone else, but to us, it's what we cherish, and that's our way of life. Where do you find your subjects? Are these people that you know? Are they people that are from your home community? Who are the people in your works? Oh, uh, I work most, mostly from, uh, I work from Maasai, because I believe in, in this recent age, those that really practice Africa, I believe some are uh, the Western world we call some another developed country. They call some mm -hmm. uh, the developed one. So some of the countries in Africa, they've grown to an extent. Like the country, like the country I am from, Nigeria, we are we've gotten a lot of influence, we've gotten a lot of changes, but I still have some African that really dates the way Africa was from onset. I used to have my reference mm -hmm. from my community. But I work mostly from Ethiopians, because I believe they really practice African, the original African, are still in existence there. Like in Nigeria now, we have a lot of Nigerians abroad, we have a lot of foreigners in Nigeria, we have a lot of Western in Nigeria. So they've came around, they've diluted our culture, and things have changed. Even now, to me now, I, I'm not expecting myself to be putting on this around neck. This is a foreign way. But in those African countries that are national, like the Maasai, the Ethiopian, they still practice the original African that I met, that I read in history. So I work more from them. I think you get that. Yeah. And, and why is it important to you to show what you call the original Africa? What do you want your viewers to understand when they see it? Yeah, what I want my viewers to understand is that uh, I believe uh, we all have a way of life. To them, like now in Africa, we used to say some words. And those words are like, before the invention of new things, they are existence of old things. So we have a way by which the way we do our things. I don't want someone to just come around and just tell us like, okay, things are done in this social way. So I can prove to you we have many ways by which we can do this. Before the 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 uh, invention of social things, we... we we, do, we used to use this. We have a way by which we put on our clothes. We have a way by which we do mm -hmm. our ceremonies. We have a way by which we we, we give baths, our, our weddings and stuff. Now in Nigeria now, we have new wedding style that they call the white wedding. So that is what the mm -hmm. foreigners brought to us. But we have those ones we used to do before the coming of the, before, before we've been colonized. So I'm proving to the world that we have our ways. It's only because uh, we, we, are, we keep growing and we believe 
I think we need to tune to this. But I want people to know we are have our own original culture that we do. So that's what I'm preaching, and I believe uh, most people really understand what I mean because uh, I really don't believe foreigners should be engaging with me like they are now because so many people come to my DM, so many people ask about so many things, and I tell them I'm from there. They fall in love with what I do. Yeah, and it, it I think that there's something really powerful about that, well, in everything you said, but that idea of showing these original ways in these large-scale work that you do. Because there's something about artworks that are big, that there's that inherent reverence to them. They are important. So when it comes to creating your subjects and, okay. and placing them in an environment, do you are you very research-based? Are you very sort of precise in what you're doing? Or are you more intuitive? Do you just kind of draw something out until it feels right? Tell me about your actual practice in creating your, your compositions because they're, they're very effective and the balance between the light and the dark is just beautifully done. Is that something you do just when it sort of feels right? Or are you very like thinking sort of uh, analytically about what you're putting on the paper? Okay, thanks for this question, and I really appreciate it. Uh, my artwork is not just uh, just for beauty. Mm. It's basically communication. If it should be you are so conversant with my teams, with my write-ups, definitely, yes, you will know I'm making a communication. A likely example of this uh, artwork you are looking behind me here. This artwork, I tattooed it homecoming. As you can mm -hmm. see now, if I should ask you now, as a foreigner, you definitely don't understand what's going on here. Or well, I will explain to you. In a way, this artwork now, they are coming from school. So, and what this is talking about is, uh, it's always at when children are going to school in the morning, you most time force them to go. But while they are coming back, they are always happy. They run as if, because they believe. The day is over. They are going to their mm -hmm. playground. They are going to meet their friends at home. They are going to make, have food. They want to go and meet their family and things like that. The like, likely result of my, uh, one of my pieces that I did recently that I call uh, equity before, no, justice before peace. We are all crying for peace. We are all crying for peace in the world. Let there be peace. Let there be peace. Let there be peace. But we are all ready to give we are not ready to give what it takes to have peace. But we are shouting about peace. We can only be shouting. Mm. What we need first is equity. We need justice. So if we are able to attain those things, definitely yes, we will have peace. But if we don't have those things, we can only be shouting from today to next year. Nothing will be achieved. So I don't just work for beauty. I work with communication. And if you if you are covered on my work, it's only those that are closer to me that knows. I'm telling my own life story with my artwork. Mm -hmm. I have an artwork that talks about when I go married, because I have a wife and I have a son now. I have an artwork that talks about when I give back to my son. I have an artwork that gave back to when I was coming up, that uh, to someone like me now, I was singularly raised by my mom. So my parents went separately. They divorced. So I was singularly raised by my mom with my siblings. 
So I use those things to communicate to the world what I've faced, where I am, and where I'm going. And those things I see around me, I tell to the world my perception about it, what I have to say about it, what I understand about it, you cannot have this. If you don't have justice, if you don't have equity, you cannot have peace. So my work is not just for beauty. Do you have any particular artists who inspire you? Do you have art heroes or people who really influenced your practice? Well, I would say, because uh, I'm a self-taught artist. I'm a self-taught filmmaker. But I still have some people I look up to. And what brings mm-hmm. about that is uh, from where I grew from, I mean, as an Nigerian that I am, I have uh, a little opportunity to choose a material. Most of the tools and materials I use here were all imported. And I have those that really stood for me when I started them, because I don't believe I can get to even the little lamb that I have now. I don't believe I will have it. But it gets people that came to me, they talked to me, they gave me tools, they gave me advice, they gave me a way to go. And I believe I take them to be those that I look up to. And likely example of them is Natoya uh, mm. Hobbs. I have uh, a Nigerian that stays abroad also, uh, Ade Additional. He's also a printmaker. Yeah. And um, Carlos has been a, a great and a huge help and a kind of influence to me. He's one of those that influenced me, and I believe I can go for I think these three artists that I just mentioned now, they are the set of people, though I started on myself, but I took them to be those that I'm looking up to. Yeah, yeah, those are incredible artists. So, yeah, I, I admire them myself. The city that you live in, it's Ibadan? Right, yes, that's right, Ibadan, yeah. Yeah. What is the art scene like there? Do you have a lot of contemporary art galleries? Do you show a lot in the town that you live in? Well, Ibadan is, uh, I think... Uh, the largest city and the most influenced city we have in Nigeria is Lagos State. I think you know that. So it seems to be mm-hmm. like the second class of the city in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. We have just like two, I think I recognize like two or three galleries here. But I can say to you, basically, I have my collectors around the world. I just see my collectors come from the West, basically from the US, mm-hmm. UK, Europe, and other continents outside Africa. Uh, because uh, I would say in my, in my country, if not recently, they don't really recognize printmaking. Hmm. You see printmaking to be a copied art. Right. Whatever art that has to do with more than just an artwork, that you have edition of two, edition of three, edition of four, they don't really have a kind of record with it. So you don't always take it serious. But recently, I think galleries are coming to me when I have some foreign influence. And they see to be what they are rejecting. Some people are taking it serious. So they turn up and they, call, they now started talking to me like, okay. Because I've been to so many galleries when I started. Because I even want them to represent me. Maybe to even publicize me to the world. Mm. But they all rejected me. Because they see my work to be a copy work. I believe in my country now, I think I know of just two more people that does what I'm doing, basically. And I don't even know them when I started. Hmm. We get to a time they started talking to me. They want to know more about me, the way I do my things. Because they see me to be a kind of influence. The way I see some people to be my influence, and I talk to their influence now, so 
they see to be what this guy is doing, I think we can just join in the race and we'll become like three. So we are not much. So it's just now that when I have foreign influence, people are coming from abroad, that recognize my work, that collect my work. That was now when the local galleries here started talking to me. Mm. So that's what I would say. I really don't rapport with galleries. Even since I've been exhibiting, I think yeah. I've been up to like 10 or 11 exhibitions now. I have just two in Nigeria. While I have the rest, like 9 to 10 in the US and UK. So that's to prove they really don't. Thank you. Yeah. And and do you, so you then, you sell directly from your studio more so than working with galleries? Or do you ever, like when you said you have an exhibition in the US, you're working with a gallery there then? Yeah. Uh, I've not been working with any gallery. They are mostly, okay. let, me, let, me tell you, let me tell you a little story about myself. When I started this, yeah, uh, it wasn't it wasn't this sweet. But get your time. I met Tom Carlos from Bow, US. Bow in US. So he talked to me when he said the talent. He said, "Ah, how am I getting my work sold?" And then for real, I don't have sales. I don't have people to buy my work because galleries around have rejected me. I don't have access to foreigners. So we had an agreement. And it took like 35 pieces of my work then. In less than two weeks, promoting it, it got them all sold. So from there, people got started knowing about me. People come to me. Mm -hmm. They want to see my work. And I give them like five works to show in the show and things like that. So I've not been working with any gallery till now. Because even as at last year, till this year, I keep putting out on my social media platforms. I need galleries to represent me. I need people to put me on limelight, but till date, I don't have. Most of my sales are either from Etsy or direct collectors that come to my DM, they message me, and I they collect my work. So I've not been working with any gallery at present. Yeah, you're really a, a true contemporary internet age artist. You're just being your own gallerist as well as the artist is what it sounds like. Yes, yes. I do I, I do the two, yeah. Do you ever get artistic blocks? And and if so, how do you handle them? Do you ever get a period where you can't think of anything to make or it feels like nothing you're making is turning out well? And how do you move through that if that happens? That, that has not really happened to me. The only thing uh, 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 that I used to talk, I used to think about then was uh, when I started for the first two years, I don't have a collector, I don't make a sale, I don't have, so I get that and get it done. Because I sit like, am I on the wrong track? Is it that people don't mm -hmm. like this work? Was it that what I'm saying is not making sense? Was it that I'm not preaching what we want to hear? But when did it turn up and I started having collectors, I started having engagements. Since then, I think I've not think like what I'm doing is not making sense. The only issue I used to have now is maybe sometimes, maybe uh, I've overworked myself. So I just want to have some rest. Mm. So not that uh, I, I don't used to feel like pouring all my works and all. I don't feel that anymore. I don't feel that anymore. Yeah. It's only when I started the first two years that I don't make sales, I don't have a collector, I don't have people talking to me. I'm not, I'm not trending, things are not coming up. Nobody's showing any interest about me. That was when I, I, I do feel so bad. But now, 
everything is working by God's grace and I'm moving. So I've not been feeling that for recently. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. In the first couple of years, when you weren't getting that positive feedback, how did you handle that emotionally? Did you just kind of keep believing in yourself? Did you, as you said, you doubted it, but what gave you the strength to keep going and get to the point where people did recognize your work? I've made a whole lot of research before I started. When I start and things are not coming up, it's a passion because I left a job. I was into a salary job then. So I left the mm-hmm. job and I decided inside of me that come what me, I will not stop this. People like it or not, my own is I want to preach to the world what I know. I want the world to know what I believe in. So when for the first two years I don't have a collector, I don't have an engagement, I don't have anything, I keep believing one of these days, people that know the value of my work will definitely come. Because what really brought about my issue then was, uh, I believe, not that my work wasn't good then. But what happened to me then was, I wasn't reaching the number of audience that I need to reach. A likely example of who I am now, as a Nigerian now, most people see Nigerians to be a froster. Because most Nigerians, they do fraud, they, they dupe the foreigners, they take their money, they say they will send them things and they will not send it. So from there, people don't take Nigerian serious. So at long run, so mm-hmm. when the work reach the right hand and they make the publication and people see from different angle, I think my even just my Instagram page grew from 2,000 to 17,000. So it's mm-hmm. because people didn't see me before. So I was just roaming in my cycle. People around my country, people in Africa, that's what I've been interacting with. But when my work gets to the Westerners, so that was when I get more of what I want. So I wasn't bothered because I believe people that need my, even till now I keep believing because I know this is not the best place I should be. I keep believing those that see me are still coming. So, but where I am, I thank God and I keep growing. Lovely. What do you think is the next step for you? What would you love to see happen next in your career? and in your artistic practice? Well, uh, uh, I, I, I used to see myself to be underrated artist. So that I still feel to be an underrated artist. Because, uh, I've seen uh, some occurrences that have happened to me that even some people ask, they tell me, this is not a line of code, this is a computer work. Until when they get to know me, they see my videos, they see how I work, they see everything. They're not said like, so where have you been? So people need to see that they've not seen you. Now let me let me let me let me tell you because uh, I have an aim and a, pro- a projection, and the projection I have then was a, uh, I want to be the biggest black voice that is preaching the heritage and the culture of Africa through printmaking. I'm looking up to a day that I will be pronounced that. Tosin Yeni, one of the biggest printmakers that promotes African culture. I really need more recognition. Let me just put it that way. I need more recognition and I need more 
galleries of temptation. That's what I look up to for now. Because mm. I believe they are the ones mm. that can put someone into where affected of him. Where the influential mm. ones, where the the potential collectors of silver. Yeah. yeah. Do you have anything that you're looking forward to? On um, anything that's on the horizon that's you know, you want to promote here or you just want to speak about anything in the future? Well, uh I recently want to I was thinking because there there were kind of challenge I had this year. Some people mm. talked to me and they made me know like uh why talking about African culture alone? That I should try and move into other cultures. I should just turn myself to a cultural artist. I should talk about Americans. I should talk about Asian. I should talk about the Europeans, and not just Africa. But to me, I just see it to be uh, uh, what's it called? Dignity begins from home. I want to firstly be done or do enough for my community then I think I can stretch out to other communities, I mean, other continents. So I'm planning to move into other continents. But the more reason why I'm slowing down is because uh, I don't know much about American culture, sorry. I don't know much about European culture. Mm. I don't know more about Asian culture. Maybe when I have the chance to leave the country, and I have the chance to leave my continent, and I move to another continent, and I know, okay, the way, this is the way they do their things. This is what they do. I can talk about them. I'm just talking about what I know and what I'm experiencing. But I believe uh, in the nearest future, I will go beyond it. Because then I will be more mm -hmm. experienced. I will know more about things because I'm only talking about what I know now. So that's for now. Yeah. You said that you might want to move on to other subjects when you've done enough for African culture. Yeah. What does that mean to you? What would that look like? How would you know when you've done enough? Uh, I will know. Uh, the reason why I think I could know is uh, it's a get with time. There are so many things uh -huh. that the foreigners didn't know about Africa. I think with one or two things I've been doing now, I've interacted with more than among my the, the little follower I got. I've interacted with more than uh, seventy-five percent foreigners and twenty-five percent mm. African. And I put to them, I talk to them about Africa. I put to them about so many things we experience here. So I believe one of these days I will be satisfied, and I will have it in my mind that oh, I think to an extent I've prayed about Africa. So I won't stop preaching about Africa till my last breath. I can only have mm -hmm. other support. I will stop. But to get to time, I will have to add some. Even I'm thinking about making a kind of comparison when you get to time. So making comparison, I'm still talking about Africa. But I'm mixing it with another continent now. So I can never stop about Africa till my last day on Earth. I will talk about it. Okay. But I will add some other subject to it. That's my plan. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I understand now. Yeah. And one of the things you've spoke of throughout the interview is the 
misconceptions that Westerners have about Africa that you want to push back against in your work? Is there anything in particular that you hope you can kind of cure or correct with the kind of work that you do, ideas that people have? Okay. Uh, I just see, don't let me generalize, but I will say uh, our way of life is different. Okay. Before the existence of the foreigners, before they come around, we have a waste. Like now in Africa, we have the app. Have you heard about app before? H E R B. Have yeah. you heard about that before? Yeah. No. What's, uh, that's our own drug. Apart from the paracetamol, uh-huh. apart from the, the the Panadol, apart from all these uh, drugs, we have our own local way of producing drugs from from roots. That we, I think the foreigners do call it concussion. We mix different types of roots huh. together to make up that we drink and it will serve as a kind of uh, yeah. drug. So those things are the kind of thing I'm preaching to the world that, okay, we have our way and those things are still working. But due to the foreign influence, they've taken almost everything away from us. Whatever, we hardly we, we believe ourselves. We now believe whatever they brought to us from the foreign land, of which it should be mixed. I think that's how life should be. You take from the outside, you made it from the one you have from inside, and you live on. But not that you take something from outside and you forget about what you have. I think mm. you understand that. Even the, the last yeah. example of what we're talking about now, to me now, I understand your language. We are speaking your language now. But you cannot understand my own. Do you know? Mm-hmm. If I say one or two yeah. things in my language now, you cannot understand. In our school now, we have a general language to be English. Of which we have a local dialect that we've just forgotten all. I think you get that. Even now, if you are not speaking English now in my country, they will see you to be a mediocre or an illiterate, and you, you know nothing. Mm. That doesn't mean you know nothing. It doesn't imply that you don't know anything. But that's how we think. So those are the things I want to correct them. Like, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not segregating, or I'm not. I don't know how to say it. I'm not being, maybe, but I want them to know our ways of life have been in existence before the, mm-hmm. before we've been colonized. I think you get that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful and, and really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, I don't think I, I realize that English is the language that is spoken in schools in Nigeria. It's that, that, that's our that official language. Wow. Okay. English, yeah. English is our official language. So we have, we have more than mm-hmm. 200 tribes with different languages, but all of us were compelled to understand English. So mm-hmm. now it's, it's very hard for parents, I mean, the illiterates, that were not, that, that were not educated, I mean, those that have been in existence before the colonization. So it's hard now. If I want to, if I want to write my parent now, I will just be talking, I will just be speaking with my siblings in English. They will not understand what we are talking about. My mom will be looking at us and she won't understand what we are talking about. Because she doesn't understand. Yeah. So those things are the things that really pains me, that will take my life. You shouldn't take this thing so hard. It's good to understand English. But it shouldn't be that we should just forget 
the one we were born with. Yeah. So those are the things that I keep preaching. And even even our way of putting on clothes now, if uh, there are some things, we have the likes of the Adire, Panda, we have the Alari. If you watch my picture, if not now, I have dread before. Do you notice mm-hmm. that? I caught it, through, I caught it like maybe mm-hmm. last, it's later, I caught it less than 10 days now. Those things are for Africa. We call yeah, it Dada. Yeah, I think. Yeah. We, we call it Dada. Dada means dread. Uh-huh. Well, invention of so many things have changed almost everything we have. For me to be putting on our neck now, this shirt I'm putting on is a foreign clothes. We have Agbada, we have Ruba, we have Sokoto, we have uh, so many outfits, but we hardly patronize them now. Whatever we wear now, mm-hmm. I get everything out from abroad. So those are the things I'm telling people that they should not just forget about their ancestors. They should not forget mm-hmm. about where they started from. If they are learning, it's good to learn. It's good to add to your knowledge. But don't forget where you started from. Yeah. That's not what do the kids, let's say like teenagers, how do they feel about this? Do you get a sense of that? Do they understand the the legacy of, of colonization and the the need to remember their histories? Uh, the 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 desert here, yeah, I believe they, they have nothing doing with pre-colonization. Mm. They deal mostly with after being colonized. They deal mostly with post-colonization. They are Jesuits. They don't even care about their background. They don't care about the roots. They don't care about where they come from. They just want to mm. go along with the trendings. They just want to go with whatever comes their way. So that is the kind of assignment I'm doing. I'm trying to call them back to the roots. Because I, I see it to be there's a whole lot of benefits there. I don't go against uh, what's it called? I don't go against uh, foreign influence because it, it really helps. It really helps me to a lot. But I don't forget where I'm coming from. So the kind of campaign I'm doing now is uh, I'm I'm calling people back to the roots. I want them to know before you are anything, you are African. Before you get to the UK, before you get to the US, before you get to the Europe, before you get to anywhere, you are African. You cannot erase that. Till tomorrow, I overheard it. I don't know, but I overheard it. Till next, till I don't know when that will stop. Even if you get a citizenship in the US and the UK today, you are still a second citizen. They still refer to you as an African. Mm-hmm. So that have to sink into your brain that okay. U.S. is fine, U.K. is good, the Europeans are good, but I have where I am coming from. So I'm just preaching to them. I even to me, you people ask me now, I love to stay in the U.S. I love to stay in the U.K. I love to, to stay outside Africa. But that mentality can never leave my brain, that I'm an African. So that's what I'm preaching. I want people to know. Because just sit now, they just... Take their way, the way they take, even they, they they class themselves to be a foreigner. They are not working with us like okay, the way things are done. There are some food now that the density will not hit again, and it's our food. The density will not do again, and it's our way of life. 
So those are the things I think. But the Gen Z, they are not really, they are not really complying. They are not, they are not looking up. To, they are not even looking up to where I am. In Africa, we have culture. We have, we have passion. We have, we have pity for people. We pity people. We don't just fight war, 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 war. If you watch it so close, it will be so hard before you hear anything about war in Africa. It's not always easy. More, what do what bring about most of our war is colonization. If it should be Africa to Africa, we hardly fight. So that's what I'm preaching about. The desert, they are not on my side. They are just living their life the way it comes. That's beautiful. Well, I think that's a, a really perfect note to wrap up on. And I'd love to give you a chance to tell people where can they find you online? Where can they follow your Instagram or see your work or Etsy that you mentioned? I shop in Etsy. At, on Etsy. On all social media platforms, my name is Tosin Oyeni. On Instagram, Tosin Oyeni underscore. On Twitter, on Thread, and every other social media platform, my name is Tosin Oyeni. So, but to buy my work, they can talk to me straight from my DM or they visit my Etsy shop to order my work. Beautiful. I will put links to your social media and your Etsy shop in the show notes for this episode so people will be able to go right there. And I just want to say thank you again for taking the time to speak with me. It was beautiful to hear your story and your message. And I'm really looking forward to sharing it with the listeners of the podcast. Uh, I'm happy too, because it's a kind of thing that I I enjoy most. Uh, I love to tell people about my work, but most of the time I don't used to get a chance. So once I get a chance and I see someone talking to me and they want to know about me, I'm always available and I'm always happy. I appreciate it too, uh, and I love uh, the way you speak to me. And even if I thought uh, my grammar, there must be some, there must be my, some errors. You just have to take it. It's a borrowed language. It's my second language. So yeah, I'm happy to. Speak. You speak beautifully. I, yeah, you speak beautifully. I understood you perfectly. So yeah, <laughs> no worries. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. If you like today's episode, we have a Patreon where you can help support our podcast and get bonus content like Shop Talk Shorts with past guests. But the very best thing you can do to support this podcast is listen, rate, follow, and share with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Michael Azil. We talk about diversification of a printmaking practice, the inherent queerness in Greek and Roman art, creative practice when you have a developed aesthetic, and astrological etchings. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you in two weeks.